This episode of the 602 Club is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole, where the hosts from the network and friends will just drop by to talk all things geeky, so order a drink from Ruby and grab a chair. I'm your host, Matthew Rushing, and joining me today are Andy. Andy, how are you doing? I'm good. Glad to have you here, and as uh, I think people probably know now from the network, uh, you are brand new to Trek. Um, first and, time trek <laughs> yes that's right first time trek in fact a first time trekker on uh twitter if i'm not mistaken yep awesome awesome so everybody should be following you there as you uh get to know star trek i enjoy following you with your live tweets and it, it's a lot of fun so and then norm norm welcome to the show glad to be here glad to be in the 602 Awesome, awesome. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if maybe we should start asking what people are drinking. You know, uh, you know, this is the six hundred two club. Anybody drinking anything interesting this evening? Tarkalian tea, <laughs> excellent. Blood wine, and, yeah. uh, blood wine. Ah, uh, nice. Uh, I've just got a a cup of Joe and my my NXO one mug here. I, I didn't want to be too inebriated for our uh, special show tonight. A Joe or Rakdagino. Uh, well, I just went with normal coffee. Ruby makes the best coffee uh, on the West Coast, so it's, yeah, really enjoying it. Plus, like I said, it's in this nice uh, Enterprise mug. Oh, very it's nice. The yeah. NXO one. Uh, so she keeps a, a special batch of these down here. Um, yeah, I think Archer gave them to her as a gift. So <laughs> anyway. Well, tonight, uh, as you guys know, with the 602, we just pick out a geeky topic and we talk about it. And tonight we're going to be talking about the madman with a box, the one and the only Doctor Who. And so uh, I'm excited to have you guys talk about that with me. I'm kind of a new convert myself, but I'm interested first to hear how y'all got into Doctor Who. So, Andy, tell us how you found the good doctor. Oh, goodness. Um, I'm also, I guess, in the scope of things, a latecomer to Doctor Who. Uh, I wasn't aware of the classic series at all. It was only uh, a couple seasons into the reboot that I started hearing about it. Um, I lived overseas in China and uh, worked with uh, some Australians, and it's huge in Australia. Uh, It hadn't quite hit the U.S. nearly as hard at that point. Um, And all I would hear from my Australian friends was Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. So started watching it and um I actually watched the the pilot and hated it. I hated Rose. <laughs> um the the episode, not the companion and vowed to never watch it again. And then a couple maybe a year later I was like, "Hmm, maybe I should give it another chance and got to the second episode and never looked back." So Started watching it religiously, went back and watched a lot of the classic who and really loved that as well. So 
yeah, I mean, not not so long. Only it feels like a lot of like a lifetime obsession, but it's only been the last four or five years. That's that's a lot of fun. Uh, how about you, Norm? Oh, that makes me feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started watching Doctor Who on PBS, um, at my local public broadcasting station when I used to live in Ohio when I was around five years old, six years old. And uh, they still played it in the four-part uh, broken, you know, the, the four-part episode mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Uh, and I started watching with John Pertwee. Okay. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure when I was that age, they were probably rerunning at the time. But then I got into the, the Tom Baker years, starting with Robot. And um, the Tom Baker years were probably my most formative years uh, of being a Doctor Who fan. But I've watched it all the way through the... Um, you know, through Peter, through uh, Colin, through Sylvester, through mm-hmm. the short-lived, uh, you know, uh, Peter McGann, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Paul McGann, and uh, then Christopher Eccleston, and then bam, it was, I pretty much loved it where he said, run for your life, and ever since then, you know, moving forward, but um, yeah, I, I've I've loved every kind of flavor of him, and he's been really entertaining all these years and I know he's a nice breath of fresh air you know versus all the star this and star that and as much as I love those uh so I think a lot of uh, American Doctor Who fans got into it through PBS I've heard that a lot um especially the Tom Baker years were rerun on PBS a lot um I just for whatever reason missed it but I've heard a lot of people talk about that I don't think you're alone there at all well I mean he had the greatest wealth of episodes I mean he ran what for what seven years Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So seven years, um, you know, regular full seasons of you know four episodes per arc. I mean, that's a lot of Tom Baker, and uh, you know, yeah. Usually, if if people, I mean, Doctor Who has kind of gone mainstream the last two years or so. But before that, if you told people you were into Doctor Who, especially if they were of an older generation, they'd be like, "Oh, that guy on PBS with the scarf," is usually what I would hear. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. I. It's funny because uh, for me, I had a weird proclivity for things of the British ilk anyway, um, because uh, I'd seen like Faulty Towers, you know, and um, Monty Python and their Flying Circus and and those episodes that you'd get on PBS and that kind of stuff. But I actually never ran across Doctor Who uh, on PBS, and I I don't know if it's just uh, for whatever reason I never did, so I never caught on, and, and so... Actually, for me, last year, uh, a friend of mine was like, okay, you need to watch Doctor Who. And I was like, eh, okay, fine. You know, I, I knew about it because obviously, you know, being in the geek world, you hear about this Doctor Who thing. So I watched the first episode and and kind of like you there, Andy, I thought, ooh, Rose is, it's okay. You know, it's it's not great. Um but, you know, by the time, I, you know, and I stuck with it, and, and by the time I got to the Doctor Dances, mm-hmm. I was yeah, totally hooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, we stopped with the farting aliens, and we've gotten to this point where, like, this character just comes alive. And, um, yeah, I, I fell in love with it. And, of course, then I heard that um, they were going to do the 50th anniversary, and it was going to be in theaters. And I was like, well, I have to go to this. <laughs> well, I've got a lot of Doctor Who to watch. So in about a month and a half, watched all seven seasons and uh, got myself to the theater and um, 
was able to sit in a theater with a bunch of Doctor Who fans. You know, we filled up the entire theater. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, who knew, you know, uh, that we're <laughs> pun. I heard that. Uh, <laughs> clap, 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 yeah. Clap, clap. So it was it was just fantastic, and and I've been back and I've watched some of the William Hartnell episodes uh, now, but I haven't gotten to go through too much. There, the problem is, is I've found when you're trying to go back with the classic Doctor, you don't have as many episodes available on Netflix. So I think Hulu has more. Yeah, um, and so. I mean Netflix uh, has done a better job of organizing them since Doctor Who became so popular in the U.S. But when I was first starting to watch the classic um, series, it was just before it hit, and they they really made it tough. Like, I had to Google chronological order and, like, track down each individual episode. At least now they've put it all in one, you know, area, and they put it in order for you. But I was actually having to Wikipedia each doctor and all of their episodes and then searching them and trying to find them so I could watch them in order. So they've actually done a better job, but yeah, I mean, they have a lot of missing stuff that's not available on Netflix and they have the classic series has a lot of missing stuff that's just missing. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Uh which is sad to know that there's an opportunity there's there's episodes that we'll probably never see again because they just don't exist. But then there was so. that really nice treasure that they found Yes. Um, not too long ago, uh, and in a, uh, what is it, an abandoned BBC station, and um, they offered it when they offered it on iTunes, and I, I snapped that up, mm-hmm. and I've been trying to get through some of it. Some of the restoration was actually really good, um, but I think for the most part, it's just being able to see mm-hmm. brand new Doctor Who, right. even though it's Patrick Troughton's Doctor Who, it's it's never been offered before. In any form. There's some Hartnell stuff that is just audio. They don't have the the visuals for it, but you can they'll they'll put like a slideshow together of stills from the original episodes, and you can listen to the audio. So I mean, they're start, kind of it started to become like archaeology almost, like searching for lost Shakespearean plays and lost Hartnell episodes. So what we really need is River. <laughs> to go exactly. find those missing episodes, and they're probably in the yeah. vault somewhere, and then look probably in Torchwood. Spoilers, exactly, know. exactly. Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I. It's so funny because w- going back and 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 watching the first Doctor, you know, it's super cheesy. Obviously, the the effects are terrible. But I like there's the claymation just, TARDIS. Yeah, but there's <laughs> something about it that you know. I don't know. I can already see, you know, what this show is, and I'm I'm going back because I'm I already have my my roots now in the new series. But I can see this show clearly when I even when I watched the old Doctor, like, and, and I would love, and I I'm really excited to finally one day just go through and watch as many of them as I can to see all those old Doctors. Because, you know, I know all these new doctors, a lot of them pull a lot of what they do from, you know, the old stuff. And it's so much fun when you can pull out and you'd be like, oh, that's, oh, that's that, you know, and what they're doing. And so it's great. In fact, even in the the newest episode with Capaldi, he pulls out jelly beans, which was fantastic. Beans are babies. Um, he also references your, your uh, episode, The Doctor Dances. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you my so mommy? Yeah, it's just great. So, okay, so we kind of have an idea of, of how we got into the show. And now comes the part that is 
completely subjective, so we're not going to say that anybody should agree with us. It's just our personal things. Um, But So, Andy, going through, who's your favorite doctor? Oh, I'm a total unabashed Tenet fangirl. Yay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I really... To be fair, um, I've seen at least a couple episodes of all of them, and there I don't think there is one that is really bad. Um, some of the later classic series got to some terrible writing, which wasn't great for their characters, but I think all of the actors have been really good. But for whatever reason, the um, Tenet years have always really... That's when I got... Um, a couple of episodes into the second season, which was David Tennant's first year, is really when I got to the point where I was like, I must see every episode of this show forever and always. And that's really where my obsession was born. Um, and he's just so pretty. So. <laughs> he really is. In fact, he's on that new show, Grace Point, which is uh, just the redo of... Oh, gosh, hold on. I got to think of it. Um He's on that new show, Grace Point, which is the redo of Broadchurch, the British mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, and Broadchurch series. Is really was a really great show. So. Yeah, exactly. Very dark and very different character for him. So, yeah, he has a lot of range, that's for sure. Which is really important if you're going to play the Doctor because the Doctor is so complex of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tennant kind of, he did a good job of keeping it fairly lighthearted and then every once in a while he would really flip the switch and be really brooding or sad or lonely or whatever he was trying to portray and and he's so pretty (laughs) (laughs) hey you know i'm not gonna lie david Tennant is a good looking guy uh so what's uh, interesting to me is his face is really weird if you like look at it in still photographs (laughs) he's got an odd looking face but then he's got just charisma coming out of his ears and when he's in movement and he's acting like the doctor he's just I, I, he's still my favorite. He'll probably be my favorite forever. But uh, I, I do really like all of the other doctors too. So, what about you, Norm? I think I'd have to answer that in in, in two parts because I do think that um, with the modern Doctor Who, there's a there's a there's a Doctor there that I love, and then the classic Doctor Who, there's a Doctor there that I love. And that would that's be, true too. You know, that would be I Tom Baker. You know, because Tom Baker is mm-hmm. for me, he kind of like got the ball rolling. Um, what I loved about Tom Baker is. Well, so many different things, but Tom Baker had this very cavalier yet serious quality about him. He could he could just look at something and and just pay it no mind, or it would be just so whimsical to him. But then he would bring it back and just become so completely focused on something that no one cares about, and he kind of just loops that through the episode the way that his personality works. He also was the Doctor who had my favorite companion was Sarah Jane. Um, yeah, you know Sarah Jane. Yeah. Again, in, in, in the classic series, you know, Sarah Jean was always kind of like this great, um, just just companion full of questions and, and, and independence and, and um, this feistiness about her. You know, she kind of like tread forward where the doctor always sometimes was a little careful. She was, she was a reporter, so she always wanted to get her story. Um, <laughs> so, there, so there was that. There was the classic uh, doctor and companion. But here, um, I have to agree, I think Tennant probably was closest to the mark of a doctor that would have beaten out Tom Baker in my overall list because he had command of every single facet of his emotional range at any given time. So he could turn from that crazy what to a really dark what 
to a completely just clueless what all in the same minute. And, Agreed. you know, he could he bared his teeth, you know, when he was angry. No one says, I'm so sorry, better than David Tennant. <laughs> and yeah, that is true. You know, and then the very the one scene that is it's still to me, it's it's the it's probably the most romantic scene that I've seen in any of the doctors episodes is when he had to say goodbye to Rose on the parallel earth. Mm. Bell um, Bay. Spoilers for anyone who's listening to this. Um, <laughs> that scene alone just showed how much gravitas he had uh, in his ability to uh, f- make you as a character fo- or, or as, a, as, a, as a viewer focus on one singular moment. And that moment, for me, is it's still one of the top two, top three moments of Doctor Who of all time. Yeah, I think that that moment is is so iconic because it's just pure emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of plot distraction there. It really is a moment between two people that you've grown to care about and how they feel about each other and just total heartbreaking right in the feels moment. And uh it, it's nice when kind of the science fiction is important, but what's most important about any any work of fiction is going to be your characters and the relationship to each other. And uh, that was re- really beautifully done. I agree. Well, it was one of those things for me. I remember watching it and thinking to myself, who's going to, sur- who could surpass like Rose, you know, in my mind, you know, it just has a, as a companion at that point. And then with Tenet as the doctor, like in that, that moment is, is, is all about just two people who, really are the worst star-crossed lovers you've ever seen. You know, I mean, he's a 900-year-old alien, and she's, you know, a 20-year-old shop girl from Earth uh, who's mortal. She's, she's not, you know, going to have a, a long life. So, I mean, talk about uh, Romeo and Juliet. It just, it's such an awesome scene, and, and I'm with you guys. I completely love that. So, um, it's funny <laughs> Because we're going to have a tenant love fest because he's my favorite too. Mm. Um, I don't think we're alone in that. Yeah. And I don't think we are either. I I know lots of, of, I'm sure there's plenty of fans out there who may listen to this and they're going to scoff at us and be like, oh, then they could come on here and tell us exactly why we're wrong. (laughs) Um, But, you know, again, this is why I said this is completely subjective. This is, you know, it it doesn't matter, you know, who you think your favorite doctor is. Um, And so... Um, one of the things I have noticed before I get to why David's my favorite is that the more I see of Chris and I go back to watching Chris, the more I wish that Chris had stayed for another season. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And the reason is, is because, you know, when they get to David Tennant's first episode, Christmas Invasion, that guy is barely in the episode, really is. I mean, you just go back and watch it. He's really not in it that much. And yet the writing is, is just crackling at that point i mean they have found their groove they know exactly what they're doing and david just fills that role and fills the screen you know um and it's sad to me because by the end of chris eccleston's run they are just bang on with what they want to be doing in 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 the show they've really found their stride they know what's going on and so it, it saddens me that he left because i think Fans would have really fallen in love with him a lot more than they did if he had gotten a whole other season. Um, and sometimes I feel like we kind of need a whole season to break it a doctor. Um, I don't know. What do you guys do? You think you guys think that too? Maybe or 
I agree. And I think the fact that the fans still connect with his doctor um, is a testament to how much he was able to do in that first season. And that first season is very up and down. I mean, they're still they're rebooting a series that there's a lot of pressure. Um, it's all they still haven't, as you said, found their groove yet. And yet some of his his moments, especially um Dalek and Dalek, mm-hmm. The rage that mm-hmm. he shows and just the the deep anger and gravitas. I mean, that guy could act, and um, there there was a lot of layers. I think that were that we would have loved to see from the ninth Doctor. I would have loved to see another season of of him, him exploring because the way it is in the timeline, he has just gone through the most traumatic event in his you know at this point nine hundred some years. And uh, we're seeing the aftermath of his terrible decisions and all the guilt and everything. And I, I feel like it would have been amazing to see Christopher uh, really, really delve into all of that. Um, and it's it's sad that, you know, he didn't apparently he didn't get along with the the crew and the writers and the producers and stuff. And he didn't have a good experience shooting Doctor Who. And that's it's too bad because he was great. And I think the fans like really connected to his version of the doctor when i think of what he could have done then too in the 50th anniversary you know if if he had wanted to come back it would have been him instead of the war doctor and just how amazing that would have been to see him and Tennant and smith all together and he would have had a ton to do in that episode and i think would have pulled it off brilliantly and it was it was sad to me that he did have such a a bad experience and didn't want to go back that he he let that go i i think he may regret that later on um in life not going back but who knows uh but it was sad to me that what could have been in the 50th anniversary now on a whole that's probably one of my favorite episodes ever because it was brilliant and they they pulled it off beautifully uh, just a fantastic episode, but it, it could have been something completely different if you had had all three of those doctors and in one episode. But we did get Ooh. Tom Baker at the end. Yes, that is true. true. And that was, was that was wonderful. When I heard his voice, it, it's unmistakable that it's Tom Baker. Yeah, and it is. Um, it hasn't changed much, really. <laughs> no, and, when, and when I saw him, uh, what I loved about that scene was that A, you know, it brings back a very popular doctor and B. Uh, some of the design work was also very reminiscent of his original TARDIS from you know the uh, mid to late 1970s, uh, the the white disc type of motif that was very much like the inside of uh, you know his and, and Davison's TARDIS. So there was some nice kind of uh, detail that harkened back, uh, and it allowed to bridge the gap between what was and what is. And um, I thought that they were really smart uh, doing that to please some of the uh, some we older fans. So. <laughs> well, they did a really good job of setting the tone of the 50th anniversary through design aspects, through just word choices. Um, they did a really good job of incorporating it in a organic way because nobody needs to get hit over the head that, oh, it's the 50th anniversary. Let's discuss all of the... They just, you know, slid them in. So if you if you were a, f- a fan of the classic series, you got it. If you weren't a fan, it didn't distract from your enjoyment. Um so I think they did a lovely job of balancing it. I think there's a lot that, uh, in the end, obviously, there was an article that was great. Uh, I think it was on io9 about what Star Trek can learn from Doctor Who in its 50th anniversary. And I think there's a lot that Star Trek could learn of what to do 
and hopefully they'll do some of it, especially with something as special as, um, you know, the 50th anniversary for Doctor Who fans, I think, uh, was just kind of universally loved and uh, pulled off so beautifully. And they were doing such a great job of, of um, you know, marketing what was coming. Um, they were giving us some great stuff, merchandising, just everything was working together to create an amazing experience for uh, fans of this show, especially as you were saying, any people who had stayed with the show for so long, you know, they were being rewarded with little things that, you know, unless you had, you wouldn't get, you know, and I think that um, that speaks to how highly that the runners of the show now um, just kind of feel about the show and realize the 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 gravitas and the, and the gravity of the situation that they were in to make sure that they they take care of the fans who have been there for the longest time as well as trying to win out new fans and i think they're they're doing a good job on both ends especially with the 50th have either of you seen the bbc special the uh, adventure in space and time the uh, yeah that was fantastic this one was um kind of like a, um, a a historical take on on how doctor who came to be with the um first ever female producer for the bbc verity lambert Oh, and, yeah. and how she fought really hard to uh, to bring this vision to life and how they gave her absolutely zero support uh, in terms of production budget and um, kind of except for one producer, except for her, her boss who kind of like let her swing for the fences. But for the listeners out there, if you if you want to learn a little bit more about the history of Doctor Who and 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 how it's. Uh, how it had some growing pains and how one literally one woman was able to change the face of science fiction. Do yourself a favor and watch that because, um, the, the amount of just sheer willpower that she had to exert on getting this project through was just, it's mind blowing and we all have to thank her for it because, you know, without that sounds her, this, awesome. I'll have to yeah, check that out. It's it's really fantastic. Oh, you do. I I think in fact you can even get a copy of it on um, some of the fiftieth anniversary DVDs or Blu-rays. That mm. some of them I think have come with that as a part of it. And they on iTunes they also had a package where you got like the Doctor Who fiftieth anniversary and it had all these specials with it. And one of them was Adventures in Space and Time. So oh my gosh, it's completely worth it. It's well produced and the actors they have playing the parts are fantastic in fact one of the actress who plays Verity was actually on an episode of Doctor Who from the seventh season um so that's really cool and it just a random tidbit too one of my favorite Star Trek authors Una McCormick named her daughter Verity as well which uh, I thought was really cool because um she's a huge Doctor Who fan so um, but so I never finally got to why who my favorite doctor is and why and, and <laughs> people are just waiting from bated breath right now, probably. Um, so yeah, my favorite doctor is David. Um, I love David Tennant and, and, and I think, um, like Andy, what you said, the reason that I love him is because of the joy, like the ultimate joy he has in playing the doctor, like he, he doesn't have that like boyishness that Smith has. Um, he just, his face, it just lights up when he's excited, you know? Um, and you can tell that there's nothing that David Tennant wants to be doing more than being the doctor. Um, and to me, that just kind of imbibed the spirit of, you know, who this character is. Like, at the core, 
as sad he as he was about what he had done and everything else, there's still a joy in him that loves what he does of traveling the galaxy. And, uh, and so for me, he just won me over and I love that. Um, that's not to take, again, there's, there's some great moments with Smith too, um, that I just love. Um, I, you know, I like all three of the, the newest, the new doctors and I'm, I'm learning to really love Capaldi as well for what he's bringing to it. And I think that's the thing about that I really love about Doctor Who, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why it lasts for so long, is because in in some ways it reinvents itself every time and yet stays the same. Um, and it gives you a lot to be able to explore then over and over and over again and just, you know, great variations on a theme. So uh, it's the same character, but, you know, different things are pointed out each time, and I think that's just one of the things I really love about it, so... Well, I mean, Doctor Who's concepts can last forever. I mean, the very basic concept of they can go anywhere in time and space and have any adventure. I mean, the writing possibilities for that are endless. You're never going to run out of stories to tell. And then adding the regeneration aspect where each doctor um, highlights a different characteristic of of the doctor and new ways to unpack his character and, and kind of explore who this this being is over all of the years i mean you can't get much better as a as a concept for a tv show well i think the neat thing about doctor who is it's the roulette wheel really it's kind of you know you 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 roll the dice and you take your chances and see if this particular doctor his personality uh, the personality of the companion that he's either going to inherit or or find or discover somebody new is that going to resonate, you know, with a certain crowd? Because I think that any given point in time, a Doctor Who fan can kind of like step out for a moment, miss a season or two, come back, and still understand that this is still the Doctor. The trappings are still there. The TARDIS is still there. Um, you know, the, the 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 whole point of his uh, his being is to roam the the cosmos and and figure out, you know, what's interesting or what's new or what needs to be fixed or um, does he have the right to fix it? Does he have the right to interfere? What is What does his companion have to say about that? What has his companion done that he needs to repair? Um, you know, with all of, you know, the years and, you know, the decades that have come before uh, this current incarnation of the series, I haven't really seen a lot of repetition there because um, the variety and the variation and all the different angles that you can get with doctor companion relationships and doctor ally relationships. I mean, Jack Harkness threw a huge monkey wrench in the, yes. um, you know, in, in, in all of the, the relationship between the doctor and the companion, because he wasn't technically the traveling companion. He had his own mission. Um, you know, having Mickey and having, uh, Rose's mom all in there. They're just, the variety is always fresh. And every time you introduce new companions, you bring along their, you know, you know, for lack of a better word, their baggage. Uh, you know, Donna had her own issues. Um, Wilfred, God, I can't, I can't even speak oh, enough good Wilfred. words. You know, I mean, good Lord, the end of Tennant and Wilfred was just heartbreaking. It had you know? to be you. <laughs> right. Um, you had to go in there. Right? You know, and it's not fair. I mean, it's, that was just, I can't, it's hard for me to watch it and still not just 
just break out emotionally. Dude, stop. You're going to make you know? me tear up right here. God, Norm. Great scene. Jeez. Great scene. And, so good. You know, so and, good. And then, and then you know, you come in with, uh, you know, Rory and Amy, you oh, know, and they have their Rory fantastic and relationship and, and how River fits into all that without spoiling too much for the for those who haven't seen their Oh, well, you can spoil it. If you haven't watched Doctor Who, folks, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but we're we're going to spoil things rotten. So this is your <laughs> warning, your final warning, your only warning. Uh, go, Norm. But then you have the blue box, you have the madman, you have the companion, and then you have this blank canvas almost every single time a regeneration happens because I think that they're, you know, I think Moffat was smart enough and Russell T. Davies before that was, they were, they were smart enough to know that the audience is so vast and uh, has such a great appetite for all the different directions. They'll find something that they really want to watch if they want to watch it and stick with it. Um, you know, some will hit more than others, but, you know, uh, by and large, you know, Doctor Who still has its quote-unquote tenets that people like to follow. Well, and, I mean, you were saying that you can check out of a season and come back. Honestly, I think even even now when we're more into the modern kind of series serial aspect of tv whereas you it used to be that doctor who was like um different parts of a single story you can take doctor who episode by episode i mean you can watch six episodes of the new series and totally get a sense of doctor who you know and and basically every time i sit down to watch an episode i am going to take it on its own terms because they are usually such contained stories I mean, you occasionally have the art, you know, season finale or, you know, stuff like that, um, kind of a a series-long arc that's wrapped up. But for the most part, each adventure is contained. So you can watch, you know, one episode, skip a couple episodes and get to the next one and not really lose much because at the end of the day, it's still going to be the TARDIS opens, the Doctor and the Companion walk out, and they save the day somehow. And uh, it could get tired, but it does not. So I really think that that's a a strength of the show because you can hate an episode and then love an episode. Um, And, you know, goodness knows Doctor Who fans like to discuss everything good and everything bad and who who works and who doesn't for them and disagree on every single episode. So it's kind of cool that you can you can take each story on its own merits. And I think that's a great segue into asking then, who is your favorite companion and or companions? Um, for me, actually, uh, Norm was saying that he has the classic doctor and the uh, the new doctor. My favorite classic doctor is actually William Hartnell, the first doctor, because I just think it's hilarious how, how much of a jerk he is. Um, And it really makes me laugh. Um, I have the same for classic companion and and updated companion. My favorite classic companion is actually Ian Chesterton. Oh, um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, who is actually like the first companion. But he was just such a great guy. And uh, he is really, you can see him making an impact on the doctor and helping him find his humanity and then just brave and funny and sweet and everything that you want from a companion. And then uh, for the new companion, I got to stick with Rose. She's my gal. Um, I just really think that she's she has a lot of heart and uh, she really embodies what the companion is supposed to be. Um, 
as much as I enjoy kind of the romantic relationship her and Ten had, it's not even really the romance that I like so much about her. It's that she's just, she's a truth teller. Um, she's going to tell him what he needs to hear and also just pure loyalty. Uh, you know, she's she's always going to be um, right there backing him up and they just had an amazing chemistry. Uh, so Rose is, he's my favorite, closely followed by Donna. Oh, I love amazing. Donna. Oh, Donna. It took me a long time to lo- to 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 like Donna. She was she graded on me for so long, and then now that I watch her again, it's it's completely different. Um, but I I remember the the shock of you know no Rose, and now we've got Donna, and it was like what? yeah, I mean that first oh. Christmas special, oh, gosh. those first She's ten minutes, I was horrible. like, what is happening to me right now? She's horrible. Was that the yeah, Runaway Bride? Yeah, yeah, and she's just yeah. she's so the opposite of Rose, and and she is she's very obnoxious. Um, but then you realize that underneath all that is just this brave, witty woman, and I really enjoyed her very platonic relationship with the Doctor, mm-hmm. which was much needed mm-hmm. after the romantic shenanigans. Um, and talk about a truth teller! I mean, no one was yeah. more blunt than Donna. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, Catherine Tate just being the extraordinary comedian that she is um, really brought a lot of a lot of laughs and a lot of heart to to a role. But then also, mm. again, managed to flip it. I think what happens to Donna is possibly the most heartbreaking thing to happen to a companion on New Who. It's just she grew yeah, so much, is, and mm. then they took it all away from mm-hmm. her. Yeah, yeah. Those two, her and Wilfred, her you know her grandfather. It just it's that that is a great companionship for the Doctor, uh, and one of the the most challenging for him, I think, uh, because they really you know push him to grow. So yeah, definitely, they com- that that whole arc with them. It just it, now I watch it again, and it, it's 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 just fantastic. Well, I mean, I already mentioned Sarah Jane before, um, but what I love about Sarah Jane is that she was able to bridge two of my favorite doctors with John Pertwee um, and and Tom Baker, but she was always so plucky. I think that's the right word for her because she kind of always forged on ahead, uh, again, like with her background of being a reporter. And, um, at, at, you know, when I started watching Doctor Who, those were kind of like my formative years as like a you know, adolescent teenager. And she was just, Oh my God, I just fell head over heels for her because <laughs> she was gorgeous Beautiful. and she had the British accent and she was very elegant. Uh, um, and I don't know. It's, it's just one of the, I always thought that she played off her doctors really well because, um, it's not that she wouldn't listen to them. It's that they had to give her a really good reason why. Uh, and for, you know, young adults or young viewers, I mean, that's kind of like the, why would you tell me to do that? Why do I have to stay in the TARDIS? Why can't I go after that giant mummy, you know, <laughs> referencing the pyramids of Mars um, or, you know, uh, just stuff like that. So she would she would try and find uh, she was she was a sleuth and she liked, you know, sleuthing around. And yes, obviously that got her into trouble sometimes. But, you know, it also gave the doctor a chance to um, show off and, uh, you know, prove his wits and his reasoning. Um, doc- and Tom Baker was always just exasperated with her. And he, I mean, it was just so they, they had such a hot and cold relationship. You know, there's not really a lot of romance there. And then when she came back or flashing forward, you know, so many decades, when she came back in the episode with Tennant, 
Oh, fantastic. When she saw him and realized who he was, it compressed all of those decades of time to where you as a viewer who have been fans of both, uh, both incarnations of the series, you're like, wow, that just made my heart stop for a second because I remember when he left her and she was so angry, but at the same time, so back in love with seeing him again, uh, as we all were. So, um, so yeah, Sarah Jane for the, uh, for the past and for the future, I loved Donna. I mean, I loved where Rose was with the doctor, but Donna was Rose without the romance for me. Um, she was just, yes, she was a truth teller and she was blunt as, uh, as the biggest hammer you can find sometimes, you know, and she had, I, I, I thought it was refreshing for her to be that way because you had Rose, which is a very serious romantic issue between her and the doctor. Then you had Martha who I thought was actually a good companion, but she couldn't recapture that kind of romance. I mean, it was already done. And again, the whole ending with Tennant and, and Billy Piper was just solid. It was done. It was packaged perfectly. It was put that on the shelf and just let that thing be. Um, Martha couldn't get that back. So Donna was just able to take it in a completely fresh direction and just be this brash, loud, inquisitive, feisty person that had Wilfred to temper her or had Wilfred to be that kind of other voice of reason that she didn't have with the doctor. Um, So that dynamic was really good because it wasn't just about her. It was about who she brought with her. Um, and I thought that Wilfred by and large was the second of that companion relationship. I mean, he was really was her heart in a way. Going back yeah, to that... Sarah Jane, she's, I, I got to put in some words for Sarah Jane cause she's awesome. Um, she's, and she's, uh, by and large, whenever they have polls always hits the top for a uh, favorite companion. And that's really cause she's. She's a very classic companion. I mean, not only does she have the longest run of all of the doctors. I mean, she has four doctors. That's amazing. But she was also the first female companion that they wrote to do anything other than be rescued. I mean, we were talking uh, earlier about the the female producer that had issues. Well, when they first um, brought Sarah Jane on, the producers at the time were reluctant to have anything but a damsel in that role i mean basically the role of the companion was to scream a lot and get rescued and sarah jane was the first female companion that really held her own against the doctor and did it so beautifully and just a really wonderful companion so i just gotta say that i love i love sarah jane too high five (laughs) <laughs> what I like about this one too is that that uh, we are definitely not all the, the same, and and for me, my favorite companion and and c- companions are Rory and Amy. Um, I just I I remember you know watching through the the series, and I'm thinking, okay, who can ever take the place of Rose? And it wasn't going to be Martha, and it wasn't going to be Donna, and it wasn't going to be any of those people for me. And then, you know, we get to. Uh, season five and it opens and it is just big and loud and bombastic and you can tell they're spending more money on everything the 11th hour is just mm-hmm. a great episode and matt smith and and karen gillen immediately have that like 
you know, witty banter back and forth and the chemistry for it to work. And uh, when you added Rory in there with him, it was just amazing. And so for me, those were the companions that I just, I completely fell head over heels for. Um, and obviously Karen Gillan, she's Scottish and she has red hair. Check, check. So, yeah, so I was completely a goner. Um <laughs> And it, yeah, I, I, I really was, I was, there was, there was no, uh, other companion that was going to compare at that point. And what I loved too, is just the way that they, they were the companions too, who really got to the doctor, which I thought was interesting. Like they're the only ones who made him almost want to live a normal life. He knew that they couldn't do it forever, you know, and he wanted to like, it's he's trying to push them away, you know, and make them live their own normal life. He he almost wants to be able to do it with them. And uh, I just thought that that was some great growth. And, and to me, that oh God, there's no more heartbreaking scene. And, and I will, I, I can even be listening to the music and it gets me in the feels. But when they leave in uh, Angels Take Manhattan, it is just to me it's heartbreaking um especially uh after rory's gone and you know matt smith is just pleading with her he's like you know amy come back to the tardis just come back to the tardis with me right now you know it's it it it's oh man it's heartbreaking um so and it and and to me that scene is like i don't love season 7 season 7 has a lot of problems for me but that would just i it broke my heart when they left um and i can that's one of the the best acted scenes i'd seen in doctor who too just him and her and that scene was fantastic and then of course rivers on the other side telling her yes you can you can go you know ugh goodness anyway I, yeah, I love them as companions. It was really cool, too, because it's the only time you had a married couple as companions as well. It's um, a different vibe which, that's yeah. really welcome at that point. Because at that point, mm-hmm. you only had, uh, you know, pretty women, you know. And uh, uh, even with Donna, who was very platonic. But then you had Martha and Rose being a s- kind of pseudo love interests. And then you go with Amy and Rory. Uh, and there's a little bit of tension with Amy at the beginning, but then it settles into this married couple on an adventure with the doctor as like extended honeymoon or something. And it w- was a, a very different vibe that was very cool. What I loved about um, when you introduce more than one companion, you bring into the, the, the writing and the situation what I like to call the Star Trek effect, uh, where you have the, um, the triumvirate kind of personalities. You know, you have Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. You know, or um, in this case, what I thought was really successful about Matt Smith with Amy and Rory is that you had Amy was one way, Rory was a very other way, and then they both kind of affected Matt Smith in one way or the other, either by, um, uh, you know, directly, uh, like when um, Rory punches the doctor, you know, when he was, you know, because he was, you know, are you him? You know, it's like, yes, I am. Bam. You know, she's important to me. Bam. You know, um, (laughs) yeah. And so you, you as uh, a viewer, can latch on to that emotion. Um, you know, however, you know, uh, Amy, you know, goes about her relationship with the doctor or her doctor's relationship with Amy. I think there's more chemistry involved 
when you have um, you know a, you know a multiple character experience as opposed to a, a singular uh, well not singular but a, a dual character experience like I always loved it when they peppered in Jack because Jack yeah. was just he was spice that's I mean, stop was, it you know mm-hmm. I I just said hello mm-hmm. you know it's a wild card yeah and you you I mean you know uh, he always brought in something rogue and radical and you never knew where you were going to end up with him storytelling wise um and it was just you know john barrowman was just just an amazing amazing character to watch and i i I hold river song in the same regard um alex kingston because you know you just they're not really a companion quote-unquote per se but when they come in they come in at companion strength and they really add a lot to the flavor and changing the chemistry of the entire situation. So as much as I like having like a single companion, you know, you got to have that like third kind of like variable in sometimes just to, you know, give Kirk his Spock or McCoy situation where do I listen to him? Do I listen to him? Do I listen to myself? What's the feel with Rory? I I actually liked Rory a lot um, just because he always felt like he was making the sense out of everything. Why are we grounded them? He grounded both of them. You know, I, I mean, yeah, you know, Amy was really excited all the time about doing this. It was something that was just, you know, she wanted to fly to the, you know, so the fly to the seat of her pants. You know, she's been waiting for the doctor to come back all these years. And then all of a sudden Rory's like, what, what happens to me? Who am I? You know, it's like your, your dream doctor has finally come back. Like you've been saying all this time. And now where's my place? My place is I'm the man who fell in love with you. I'm the man who's going to marry you. I'm the man who's going to take care of you as mm. the boy who waited. Right. Quick uh, question before we move on, because we we could spend an entire episode on this. Is it, <laughs> what did you, your thought on just whether you liked or, or didn't like uh, River Andy? I liked her less as her story unraveled. I thought she worked really well as a mystery. And then when when we learned more and more and more about her, it worked less for me as a character. I I like her. I like the idea of her. Um, I just don't think she was very well served by the story or by the writing as much as I would have liked to see. I mean, having it all come down to she becomes the doctor's wife was just a little bit of a letdown for me. What about you, Norm? Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I think when we first saw her in was the Silence of the Library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that what happened to her there and the intrigue involved with her character bringing in the diary, the, um, well, because it's a prop, the modified version of Ten's sonic screwdriver um, from the future, that was all very interesting. But, and I may be on a very small island when it comes to this opinion, but for me, the more that Moffat got involved as showrunner, the less I felt the quality of his storytelling came through. Yes. When he was doing shows like Silence of the Library or, for me, the in this all of this new Doctor Who blink, I think is probably the best episode of this entire series so far. When he was focused as just uh, a writer, I, I think that he was able to bring out the best of everything that is the Doctor. The characters, the supporting characters, just the overall feel and kind of like this strange tilt in in the universe where you're not really it's not really formulaic anymore but as he became showrunner from five on in i felt that he was focusing more on these giant colossally complicated complex arcs and i think that river song's character 
lost a little in that. translation yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, think I, I, Alex was a brilliant, I mean, she's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, um, she's fantastic in the show. I mean, every, anytime she's on, she's just, you know, lighting it up for sure. So, but I, I know on a whole, a lot of, a lot of people just have problems with their character. And for, I, for one, I like her and, you know, I, I can definitely acknowledge the, the issues that, you know, for me, season five is, is in a fantastic season. I think on a whole, it works together so well. Um, Moffat had a lot of time to craft that season um, and, and really put that together. He had a very long time to do that. And I think it shows because that season, even as you just kind of, if you watch it again, there's everything works together really well season six they're telling an even bigger story one that's even more convoluted and it just doesn't work as well um and so i agree with you guys her her character just kind of doesn't get served as much as as it could have um i i didn't have any problem with her being the doctor's wife i thought it was fantastic that you know you kind of knew from the beginning that the only reason she she knew this special thing she could tell 10 you know that there was this relationship i thought it was great how it was all going to come down was fantastic it it just wasn't as exciting as it could have been i think to me uh, in, in the revelation of how it happens mm-hmm. well i think you've both nailed what is problematic with moffat as a writer i mean he just keeps trying to top himself and the way that he feels like he needs to top himself is writing these plots that are doing all of these fantastical things that don't actually hold up when you start to think about them. And it's like he thinks that the more sci-fi plot that he throws at us, the less that we need to know how it works. It's like it's like a big magic trick, but it doesn't quite work. Um, and I think that he's really lost his way when it comes to his characters um, and making sure that the relationships... And the characters hold true. Um, and I just don't think that they're as well served as they could be because he's too busy trying to put as many things into the episode as humanly possible. And he doesn't let it breathe. He doesn't let his characters breathe. There's very few little character moments um, that could really help. Yeah, it, it's it's sad to me because I agree that when he was doing one-off episodes, he was amazing and there's no doubt that he's a talented guy and a talented writer and he comes up with cool ideas and cool characters it's just it feels like he's trying to do too much and it just becomes overwhelming and i think that leads us straight into what we want to get into now is is and the last things that we'll talk about is is capaldi in in season eight um and so for you guys just kind of overview what do you think about season eight so far, what you've seen? I've seen it all up until The Mummy on the Orient Express. And I have to say that there hasn't been an episode that's really stood out to me in terms of, like, the episode. You know, I mean, if we're talking The Doctor's Wife or Blink or Midnight, you know, those those episodes that really stand out. I don't think that season eight has had a standout episode yet. None of them are particularly bad but none of them are particularly great either it's just very in the middle and then whatever the mystery is that he is leading towards i'm not all that interested in it which is not a good sign 
What do you think, Norm? One of the things that I think that um, I was, uh, there are a couple people that I know that I, that I talk about um, Doctor Who with pretty regularly, and we all feel that we are suffering a little bit from overexposure. Um, and uh, even at best, um, uh, Star Trek only ran, Star Trek The Next Generation ran for seven seasons, uh, DS9, seven seasons, Voyager, seven seasons. Um, this is the eighth season of Doctor Who. And what I think that people are starting to probably suffer from a little bit is a little bit of overexposure, a little bit of, okay, so what makes this special? If you're not coming out with a bang or a villain that you can latch your teeth onto or something that allows a new and general public to come into a show and say, I've heard of this, but what is the hook about it? I really don't get it. I really wish that it would probably like they would like just drop hints on bringing back the master because um, that's always been a classic. I mean, it's like the classic Doctor Who villain that you don't really get to see a lot of. You see the Daleks all the time. You see the Cybermen in one final all the time. Um, you even seen the Silurians, you know, uh, recently. But you know, the last time we saw the master was what was it, at the end of season three with John Sim, and that was it. It just went, it just went whoosh, and he's such a huge force. I wish that Moffat, and Moffat has the ability and the skill and the writing um, uh, knowledge and lore to be able to bring back them. Even though that we th- we believe that we lost in his last generation, he could bring him back. Um, I'm sorry, we I'm sorry, we saw him again at the end of Tenant's run with um, you know the return of Rassilon. But there is a way, and and it would be neat to see this super powered villain like the Master come back and challenge Capaldi, because I think Capaldi is a great actor. I just don't think he's been given great material yet. And sadly enough, the only episode of Clara that I've liked so far was her introductory episode in season seven when she was trapped in, you know, when the reveal of the Dalek was, you know, kind of like just dropped on your head. You're like, wow, that was just I haven't seen Moffat writing like that in a long time. He's just been writing her very generically. Right. And I haven't really cared for her since, which is too bad because I think that she's a fantastic actress. Um, She's, you know, she's pretty. She's plucky. She has a lot of great attributes for what I get is a standard companion. And maybe that's also the thing, you know, we're running into kind of like the standard companion formula. I mean, why not have a male companion for a while? If written right, it can, it can be just as effective as a female companion. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just, it's kind of half baked right now a little bit. And we don't know what the future is going to, you know, bring for the, the, the wrapping up of this season. But I just don't think Capaldi has been given enough material to really show off what doctor he is you know where does his flavor go yeah i think this is one of those seasons it's they are really it almost seems like a season nine or uh, a season the season with nine uh with uh eccleston and they were really reintroducing the doctor in a lot of ways because capaldi's doctor is so very different from what we've seen in the last you know few doctors um and and so far I've liked Capaldi a lot. I think he's bringing a lot to the role. Um, I think it's it's making it interesting for me because I don't I don't know this doctor. Like I don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea what his like uh, his reactions are going to be uh, for things, which I'm finding really interesting. Um, I almost uh, feel like too that he's to me. I think that this is the most interesting I've seen Clara because they're actually making her a person instead of the impossible girl. 
um, which was annoying to me because she wasn't a character. She was just a prop at that point for the show. And now watching her, she is more fully rounded. Like they're, they're diving into her. We know whether I care about Danny Pink or not, it's a totally different story, but the fact that they're just making her a more rounded character and she's having to kind of figure things out with this new doctor. I, I, I'm enjoying that part. Um, I didn't really like Clara before, but I do like her now. Uh, is she going to be one of my favorite companions? I don't think so. But I'm finding her much more interesting. And um, I'm interested as she's kind of like, having to take this doctor and where's the other doctor you know with smith she was you know he he's this boy man she's having to take care of you know um this doctor with capaldi he's he's alien and she's almost i feel like kind of having to teach him a little bit what it means to be more human uh which i think is kind of interesting as well um for me the i guess the standout episodes uh, i don't know about you guys but i really liked the robot of sherwood (laughs) as dumb as the episode was i just thought it was kind of fun uh the moment Um, where he's spoon fighting stands out yeah (laughs) yeah exactly spoon fighting or um you know i i just enjoyed i enjoy those kind of episodes that i think they're when they're okay with just being goofy and doing goofy things it works with Doctor Who because that's part of the show, and I liked that that, that they were okay with that um, because I, I I kind of cringed when I first heard about the episode, and then I turned out really liking it. And then to me, I also really enjoyed Listen for the season. I think that, to me, was the standout because the connection with the 50th anniversary um, and that we actually meet the Doctor as a child and um you know we're actually in the barn um before it's a wasteland um and uh you know the 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 doctor's asleep up there and and the interesting thing of clara having the um the role in his life um I, i just thought that was a really neat thing and instead of her being the impossible girl where she has this very vague thing where she saved the doctor all the time this was so concrete, you know, um, that she's met him before at the very beginning, before he's even a time lord, before he's looked into the vortex. It's, I thought that was just hands down kind of amazing. And that was one of those things where I was like, okay, I can see where, you know, Moffat has this thing where he really likes to explore the idea of the doctor um, and who the doctor is as a character instead of just kind of having him be a prop for things happening. So, I've enjoyed the series on a whole. I'd say it's much better for me than season seven was. And mainly because I feel like it's more cohesive. Like even though the episodes have been kind of standalone and there's been kind of a, just this kind of thread going through them. I've had, they've had a good story. I thought with the doctor, I've enjoyed the storyline with um, Clara more. It's, you know, for me, the low point of, of the new doctor who, um, on a whole is season seven. I, the 50th anniversary is its own thing for me. So I, I don't know. I, I still don't, I, I still don't know what to think about it completely because it's not done yet. And so I don't, for me, you know, too, I, I realize with Dr. Who a lot of times, especially the new Dr. Who, you kind of end up having to judge things by a whole season. 
Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I feel like I, I still need to see the end of this season to completely be able to judge how good or bad it is. Um, and so we'll see. I, I don't know. But personally, Capaldi to me is, is making the character worth going back and trying to figure out what he's going to do. Especially for me, Andy, I know you just watched Mummy on the Orient Express. The whole back and forth with him there with Clara I thought was really cool because you know she thinks he's one way and when they talk it turns out that he's a he he's he's different than she thought I do Um, think that Capaldi is really um letting us explore like the alien side of the doctor more I mean we went through both Tennant and Smith had a a kind of um silly goofy I I don't know if that's the right word but kind of light-hearted um, take and then they would go darker if the you know the uh, the writing demanded it or whatever but their overall personalities were pretty lighthearted whereas Capaldi is I don't think you could call him a lighthearted doctor um, for one thing he is a bit meaner we've seen it's the eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I mean bless him Peter Capaldi does mean very very entertainingly I mean that's kind of that's kind but, of his calling card as an actor. But he does um, it in a very Gandalf kind of way, you know. It's like everything just seems a slightly more. He's just slightly more irritable than everybody else, you know. Yeah, just ab- absolutely, just too smart for everybody, and uh, everybody annoys him, kind of thing. And personally, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's a it's a nice change of pace. And it certainly brings out different aspects of his character than we've been exploring, at least recently. So I've been enjoying Capaldi. Uh, Clara, I've always thought, has kind of been a blank canvas. Uh, I feel like she becomes what she's needed to be for the episode. Um, I think you describing her as like a plot device rather than a character is pretty pretty apt. Um, I mean, she seems to just be there to be by his side and make you know, quips when are when is necessary and which is really not fair to um the actress because she's great. Uh and when they give her more interesting things to do, she clearly can handle it. Um I don't know. Uh, I think I think that they could do better for her. Uh, it is nice to see her have relationships outside of the doctor because it do, does give her character a little more to to work with um and she definitely is improving and i think she has a, a cool vibe with capaldi so i'm interested to see how it works out especially with the newer doctor Hugh series you have to kind of just, you know take the whole thing as like one giant story you know because like before in the in the classic ones it was always kind of like monster of the week a lot of kind of you know that kind of fun but the way that moffat writes it's one giant chapter you know broken up in all these little different pauses and I haven't caught up as as far as by this podcast as far as you guys are in the series. So, um, you know, I I love Capaldi. I love him on Three Musketeers. I think he's amazing on Three Musketeers. Um, or sorry, the Musketeers. And um, I was really looking forward to seeing uh, looking forward to seeing more of what he can do as the Doctor. So, final thoughts from you guys just on Doctor Who, and and especially maybe if somebody hasn't checked it out or if they got stuck on Rose, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, Give give people the reasons uh, you think why you should watch Doctor Who. For me, I think Doctor Who is um, almost genreless. It's like 
is it science fiction? It even has some fairy tale elements. It's silly. It's dark. It's funny. It's serious. It's dramatic. It's basically every kind of emotion you can have while watching a TV show, you will get from Doctor Who. Um, that's really the the highlight of the series for me is depending on which episode you're watching and depending on what moment you're watching from the episode, it really takes you on a roller coaster of the human human experience, really. It's just, I mean, it's romantic and interesting and strange. All, all things are, can be encompassed in Doctor Who, and I think that's really unique, especially uh, these days on television to have a show that really hits all of the emotions and all of the buttons. Uh, the one thing that I want to um, advise uh, a lot of newer um, comers to Doctor Who, or if you want to try out Doctor Who, is that don't take a look at the entirety of Doctor Who as a whole and say, I have to watch it all. Because that's not what it's about. It's about what what's your flavor? Like, Do you like 1970s science fiction or 1960s science fiction? Um, do you like the actors? Do you like what you've heard? Do you like what you've seen on social media? I mean, do you, do you, David Tennant is, has had a great long run. Um, uh, do you like um, great effects? Uh, does that drive you? I mean, it's it's really hard to pigeonhole what about Doctor Who someone should latch onto because it's. I don't want to use it as a pun, but it is kind of timeless. I mean, it's you know, it's fifty years of TV continuously. You know, that's that's a lot of TV to try and digest or try and put your try and wrap your arms around as a fan. So. For me, uh, when I started watching, I liked it because it was one of the channels that I got on TV that was science fiction. Same thing with classic Star Trek. And as I grew with it, my tastes grew, and I kind of left it for a while. I came back, and it was still the same. You know, the doctor was in his blue box, had a companion, wanted to travel the galaxy and see what kind of stories that they could become a part of or create. And I think that's a great thing about science fiction writing is that it it can appeal to everybody as long as you keep your mind open enough for it to affect. You know, because not everything is going to be blank and not everything is going to, um, I'm not going to say the worst episode of Doctor Who because I don't think there is one, but not everything is going to be top, not everything is going to be bottom. But things are going to strike your fancy that you're like, you know what, I'd like to explore more of Tom Baker or Peter Davison or Sylvester McCoy or Christopher Lexton, or David Tennant. It's, there's so much. So if you want to get into Doctor Who, talk to a friend who's a fan, ask for them to lend you their DVDs or to borrow their computer or watch it on Netflix or however you want to get it because it's all good. You know, It just really depends on what, what depth of the pool you want to dive into first. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you both. I, I think that this show, you know, having just got into it a, a year ago now, and um, at this point a year ago, I was I was really diving in and, and trying to get through all the seasons so I could get to that uh, 50th anniversary and see it in the theaters. Um, it's a fantastic show. You know, Star Trek says that it's about exploring the human experience. Um, and I think that Doctor Who is very much like that as well. It gives you the opportunity to just think about and explore the, the galaxy and ideas and, and religion and science and all of these kind of things in, in all these different ways. Um, and it, it's it's a show that as silly as it is, it'll make you think. And um, I, I think that that's priceless on television. And so 
I definitely encourage you if you if you haven't seen Doctor Who before, or if you tried it before, uh, go back and try it again. Um, you know, I I've talked to a lot of people. Um, some people will start with Smith and go from there, and then go backwards. Or you know, there's a lot of different starting places with Doctor Who. For me, the best way was to start with Rose, and I just kept going forward. Um, and uh, by midway through that first season there with Eccleston, he just hooked me. It just hooked me, and I, I couldn't stop at that point. So I think that it is um, just one of the most fun things that you can end up watching. And I I truly do enjoy it, and I'm so thankful uh, that a friend of mine just made me sit down and watch it and then made me keep going. Uh, and so I, I'm very excited uh, that... Um, we got a chance to talk about this on the 602 Club. Well, it's been fun talking about Doctor Who today, but that's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because we're basically pitching a, a story arc. Right. Like, like we're Babylon 5, and we've got this five-year arc. Yeah. But we're going to have a three-year plus maybe the cartoons plus the movies arc. Earl Grey. Billy has 25 <laughs> L-Steelers emeralds that he needs to trade with a non-Federation species using a different currency. What does Billy do? The Orb. They've already been kind of to that next step. I mean, he massages her all the time and well, he knows helps her that, out of the tub again. He knows that so, she has rashes on her thighs. Yeah, are, so. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so... To the journey! You know, talk about a, a heavy-handed message. It, like, literally, on your back! It, like, literally, on your back. Like, I want you to feel the weight. You know, like, this <laughs> Like this is the kind of non-subtlety that makes it fun. Warp 5. The fact of the matter is, Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. The Ready Room. I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm, I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's blinders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And we have kind of reached a milestone here, a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek, uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Commentary, Trek stars. And he wanted it the first part to be called Becoming Houdini, and the second part to be called Being Houdini. It should have been called Houdini Begins. Yes. And Houdini rises. Yes. Melodic treks. At only 22 years of age, he conducted the Munich Symphony Orchestra using 110 pieces, a 60-piece choir, and a 30-piece children's choir. Sometimes you need the children to get them high notes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out greatly and makes it easier for the other listeners to find the show as they search in iTunes. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. And you can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and the different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. You'll, we really appreciate any support that you can give to us, and we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And please leave a review in iTunes. Reviews help people find us in the iTunes store when they search for our podcasts. And when you leave a review, we'll give you a shout out on the show. Of course, you can contact us at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can go to Twitter at trekfm. And then, of course, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also join us in our listeners-only club. That's at the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference in the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trekfm and click the discussion on the menu bar. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show, of course, is Audible.com. Audible is a great way to read all of those books that you've always wanted to and never had time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with that 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm to sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of the 602 Club and the network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an eight-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can make that happen. Just visit enterprise.org to find out more and to get your seat on the mission. Now, guys, where can we find you online, Andy? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek, um, where I'm live tweeting my first uh, watch of Star Trek. Awesome. That's great. Uh, where are you right now, by the way? Uh, I am about midway through the second season of the original series. Awesome. Awesome. How are you liking the, the second season? Um, it's very up or down for me. Um, I just watched the... Uh, episode where they go to the gangster planet and that oh, was super fun so yeah you learned about fizzbin yeah absolutely oh, that's that's actually my favorite episode of the original series it's, it so. was it was just delightful um we were talking about how doctor who is silly um good science fiction can be silly and still wonderful and this was a great example of uh, an episode of the original series that was just so much fun to watch. Um, I also just got a chance to watch A Trouble with Tribbles, which is the kind of the mm-hmm. definitive silly episode of Trek, and I really enjoyed that one as well. 
Awesome. Well, Norm, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm on Facebook at uh, Norman Lau. Um, and Twitter, the same name, N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I love it when Christopher spells out my name um, because <laughs> he like, punctuates the A. I'm a associate producer for three shows on Trek FM, Warp 5, uh, The Orb, and Star Trek Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. And I'm on that forum all the time because I'm a huge supporter of uh, Axanar and uh, of Alec Peters. So you can find me on that forum probably every day. But not during work hours. So, shh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell anyone. But um, Andy, I'm so excited. I actually, I I think it would be um, great to follow you and hear all of your um, reports on watching Star Trek for the first time. That's mind blowing. The original series, the first time. That's mind blowing. Yeah, and I started with the uh, Next Generation, and people did not believe that I really had no idea about anything with Star Trek, other than like the most obvious kind of things that have like seeped into popular culture. I really had no idea what was coming, and. Um, Let's just say people enjoy watching me be shocked. It's <laughs> <So. laughs> awesome. I'm excited for you. You have a lot of great stuff coming up. Yeah, and no I mean, kidding. if you're wow. interested too, um, I have been getting this question more often now that I'm pretty deep into the original series. I did also do the entirety of The Next Generation. And Twitter, as awesome as it is, does not have a really good function for going back and searching old tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've been uh, working on getting my old tweets onto Tumblr. So I am also on Tumblr oh, as First Time Trek, and you, I'm collecting them by episode. Um, so you can see the first maybe 10 episodes of The Next Generation I've collected. So if you want to go back and see that as well, I'm on Tumblr. I'm not good at Tumblr yet, but I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, I'm so glad you got a chance to stop by the 602 Club, and we'll see you all next time, and you all come back now, you hear? Mm